Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio at the intersection of nerd politics and movements for social change. This is a pop culture podcast sailing on the trade winds of the Caribbean to confluence with the popular culture and movements of the times. It's been not quite a year since I was sailing the great pirate ship graphic policy on my own and was boarded by a a dread pirate or two who swashbuckled aboard and made us change course of the ship to cover something a little bit out of our usual reaches, namely the wonderful show, Our Flag Means Death. But this year I was prepared because I've actually spent this whole year being completely obsessed with this show and I've gotten to write about it, in fact, for Wired Magazine. And I got to recruit or perhaps even impress from some local tavern a fellow pirate sailor, an actual (laughs) sailor, no less, to join me on the season two seafaring outing of Our Flag Means Death. I have joining me first time on the pirate ship, but second time on the podcast, Linda H. Codega. Linda is an award-winning entertainment journalist who has written about science fiction and fantasy media for over five years. They were previously a staff writer at io9, where they covered film, television, books, and analog games. Much of their work covers a mix of tabletop role-playing games, pop culture, fandom, and queer intersections. They live in New York, but not in the city, between a mountain and a river with their dog, Zigzag. They're transgender and non-binary, and they use they-them pronouns. Welcome back, Linda. Hello. Happy to be here. Very excited to talk to you about the new pirate show. The following episode was recorded before we got word of the bad news that Our Flag Means Death would not be getting a season three. I checked in with Linda, and they're on board with the statements that they made on this episode, as am I. So what you're getting is what we would be saying in terms of our sentiments had we been recording this later on. But just know that we are aware now of the show not getting renewed for a third season. I do want to flag for folks that there is some fan activism coming uh, from the Our Flag Means Death fan crew. Um, efforts folks are making to get the show renewed elsewhere or find another home for it, and other ways folks are trying to show support for the series respectfully. If you're interested in that kind of effort, I recommend you go to their website, which is ofmd-crew.com. That's the acronym for Our Flag Means Death-Crew.com. And you can find petitions and other actions that they are taking there. So this season, I'll just say to listeners that if you have not watched the series, you should go and watch it. We are going to be doing a full spoilers conversation for season two. I recorded a season one episode a year ago that has a lengthy segment that is spoiler free. So if you don't know, if you want to watch the this this show, which is the queer pirate workplace comedy full of class war and amazing historical fiction and humor. If you don't know if you want to watch it, you can go listen to last year's episode and there's some spoiler-free content and then you can make the correct choice and watch the series. <laughs> and then after you're done with both seasons, come on back and listen listen to this. We've described this series as an HBO show, but it's a queer swashbuckling romance slash workplace comedy. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the tagline here. T- tell me, Linda, how did you get interested in the show? Yeah, so I didn't watch the show until I had two or three people basically tell me that 
Our Flag Means Death was very much my jam and I needed to watch it immediately. So I didn't watch it when it first came out. I think it took two or three weeks before I realized, oh, this is my shit. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, I I devoured it pretty quickly when when it first came out. And then I, I followed up with a bunch of articles and talked to a bunch of people and had a good time. And then, of course, when the new season came out, I got screeners and I watched it and I conducted a bunch of interviews and I really focused in on the finale in a lot of ways, which I thought mm. was an interesting inflection point for this show, an interesting moment just uh, in fandom and a lot of thought and just thinking about how queer storytelling works and yeah. when it fails. So yeah, so I, so that's how I got in my my journey on the on the Caribbean main. Mm. Well, I, I, (laughs) yes, like we're just going to keep doing pirate metaphors that you actually sail. So you're like, not going to completely be (laughs) making shit up like I am. That's true. Um, I've been sailing since I was a kid. I actually grew up sailing in Hampton Roads, which is the area where Blackbeard, after he was killed, was brought like his body was brought to Hampton Roads and his head was stuck on a pike. So I sailed back past the little island where like his head was on display mm. for a good part of my childhood. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it was Blackbeard's spit and you just sailed by it. Nothing there now. Hampton Roads mm. is also like a really fun little town that has like a Blackbeard festival every year. So I was wondering. Yeah. So it's yeah. like a cultural phenomenon there. It is. And you just go down to that waterfront where I sailed out of and there's like tons of pubs and bars and a definitely like a blackbeard themed bookstore when i was growing mm. up so a lot a lot of, even back then i know that's interesting yeah. to me yeah, yeah. this doesn't surprise me now but i'm impressed that that was true then you know yeah i mean it was just one of those things where it's just like one of those kitschy cutesy little like claims to fame that kind of like small towns without a lot going on kind of latch on to mm-hmm. so that was that and then of course i i spent a lot of summers on the North Carolina, those barrier reef islands, because it was pretty, pretty inexpensive for three families to get a house down there over the summer. Mm-hmm. And easy to tell the kids to go to the beach for, for, for fucking five hours <laughs> and then deal with us later. And my parents actually live there, live on the North Carolina barrier islands now, like full time. They, they retired down mm. there to the beach. And yeah, there is tons and tons of pirate stuff there. Obviously, that's where Blackbeard sailed around in his later years and where he buried treasure on Ocacroke and on Roanoke and Nags Head and all those fun places. There's even a Steed Bonnet Street. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think and that's before the show. Other. Oh, my God. Before, oh, way before the show. The, that, that area of America has just like a really rich history with pirates. It's called the mm. the graveyard of the Atlantic because so many ships, both pirate and just general commercial and private ships, got got wrecked right at, right along there. It's so wild, like it's so far from the Caribbean, except also like Bermuda is way the fuck up north. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's far from the Caribbean, but definitely piracy had a lot of roots. On- or a lot of roots is in the way that 
they travel and roots is in like mm-hmm. historical roots up and down the East Coast. And it kind of like went right up to the Potomac, like pirates went into the Chesapeake Bay. For those who don't know American geography, that's very close to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Yes. I uh, am from over there, and I had no idea that there was pirate history at all over on the Potomac. They don't just talk a, of such things. Yeah, I mean, just a little bit, like barely any, hmm. but there are reports of like pirates and brigadiers and were in that area, especially because in like the 1700s when the golden age of piracy was happening in the Caribbean, it wasn't, it wasn't quite the city it is now. Or even no, the city. It, it wasn't the city it is now when my parents were children. So it <laughs> definitely was not. <laughs> it was um, basically a swamp with three tents. And they're like, mm, yeah, okay. yeah, we don't need this. They did not have the Smithsonian or Ben's Chili back in those times. I What was the kind of narrative around the pirates that you guys had? Were they framed as dangerous but fun? Were they pseudo-heroic underdog? Or how was that? I think a lot of it was definitely folk heroes and tall Mm -hmm. tales. The way that you would view like Paul Bunyan in a lot of ways was the way that I grew up hearing about Blackbeard and Charles Vane and like all of those and Captain Kidd and all of those kind of pirates. These like anti-establishment folkloric heroes in a lot of ways, fighting against the man, putting freeing people, going to the high seas and pursuing their own kind of weird lifestyle Definitely very, not really villainized quite in any, not villainized, I think is a good way to put it. Just, yeah, they're just, they're pirates. They're bopping around doing their piracy thing. And that was, it was very much not, not seen as dangerous criminals and like brigands. More like, oh yeah, they're just sailors out there having a good time. And I'm imagining though that the queer aspects were not necessarily part of the conversation at that point not really there was a i remember learning about mary reed and bonnie and calico jack and their little like threesome that they had i think that was very scandalous to learn as a teenager but that was kind of the extent of it i think because there was this one this one story of uh i think it was it was mary who was like fighting someone and she would rip rip her shirt to show her mm-hmm. breasts during battle to distract the men she was fighting yep. against. <laughs> the Red Sonia offense, as it were. Yeah. Uh, God, the mythology is kind of intense. I I have to say, though, like, it, this really dovetails with one of the topics that we, that we were thinking about, about, like, you know, in the finale, in the series, in season two, uh, a highly controversial finale. I mean, one of the things that I was really drawn by and thought was really powerful and great was... The, the debate between Izzy Hands and Prince Ricky, the pirate wannabe turned pirate catcher, and the question of who gets to tell your story. And, I mean, you know, there are aspects of pirate stories that it's all very positional, like where you are, what you hear. And one, one of the series writers who I interviewed for Wired. Zaire Ferrier was saying, like, you know, so much of what we have about them was is literally really propaganda written by the people who they were stealing things from. So I, I also don't think that there's a correct it makes sense to have this sort of corrective where actually everything is fine when there's plenty of things that aren't. But right. um it's true who gets to write the history and 
In fact, I think now one of the reasons and ways in which they are so romanticized is because we do know that the people who were writing the official records had all kinds of reasons to want to demonize them, both to sensationalize things, to sell, you know, to sell books, etc., but and also just to serve their own political interests. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a lot of reasons why people would want to swing the other way with that narrative that like pirates are evil. And then of course the pendulum of history kind of arcs in weird ways. And I think that it makes a lot of sense that we would want to romanticize the kind of like rebels against the the English specifically, because mm-hmm. that's yes. what they were fighting against in a lot of, in a lot of uh, stories and a lot of battles. Yeah. And also, I do think that some of what you what you were raised with is probably contextually because of where you're from. That's so yeah, interesting. Sure. What an interesting coincidence. So where to begin? I really enjoyed this season. I completely understand where people complain about it being rushed. But it is impossible for me to view that outside the context of like, None of these people want this to be rushed. This is this is HBO <laughs> trying to do yeah. that. I don't know what choice they would have. I mean, again, I get it. Like I, you know, I had a number of really in-depth conversations with writing staff. So I'm a little bit coming in from the perspective of being someone who's been really enchanted by them and their work. I choose to blame the monsters who run HBO Max uh-huh. for all problems, personally. But one thing is I also really hope that all the incredibly talented people who got to come together to work on the show will have more platforms for their work in the future. I know one of the writers who worked on season one, who did not work on season two, it seemed like it was because she is like working on a show produced by Courtney Love and an Edwardian queer historical comedy. Like, whoa, she's yeah, yeah. So she's like getting to do other stuff that's mm-hmm. because this exists. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And I just really... I just really hope that that's something that we get to see from all of the really creative people who worked on it. Yeah. To, to get to work on their, their their new babies as well. I hope we get more of this, but even if we don't, I, I want... I mean, the thing, this writer's room is m- four non-binary writers of color. Right. And that is certainly something that may have been true of a show like Pose, but was is very unusual and certainly never happens on this kind of show. And there really was a real deliberate effort to get really creative, interesting staff on this who are from experiences that are not usually given access to costume, historical, budget kinds of series, you know? Mm-hmm. Multiple. The writer's room was all done on Zoom, even with season two, because yeah. there are immune compromised people like myself, immune compromised people working on the series who are like, yeah, if you make me go into an office, I will very easily get COVID and become too sick to function. So we're not doing that. We're going to work remotely. And you can see how they worked remotely last time and this time, and they can keep that up. And that's the disability justice piece is to be able to have that. And this is just not, I really look, it really looks to me like David Jenkins is someone who was doing some real allyship and smart mm-hmm. was smart enough to see how much additional value you have when you include these sorts of voices in the creative process. So many shows just have diverse actors and they do not have diverse. Well, most shows don't have diverse actors, but many of the shows right. with diverse actors do not have diverse people behind the scenes. 
And this show saw a lot of people getting like higher production producer credits, first time writers credits rather than assistant credits. It looks like it's a vehicle to me that is going to help saturate the TV market with more diverse voices in years to come. I hope so. I think that I really respect that David pulled so many people from so many diverse walks of life for his writer's room. And I think that without a doubt, like that kind of authentic and casual representation and the way that like certain stories were told made it very obvious. Zaire, who's one of the head writers on the series, was saying it was such a relief to have multiple non-binary mm-hmm. writers of color on this because it meant that I it was I could be wrong and somebody right. else could be like, hey, I have this perspective. And you'd be like, oh, thank God. I'm glad I'm not the only person yes. in this orientation who is in this room. And I'm like, yes, that would definitely be a big relief to have it not just be on you to understand and represent it all. Yep. It's so special. But that's all background information. And I... Yes, what we did get to see on screen did feel rushed. The question is, I don't know how they could have done it differently, because what are the options to cut down on the storylines? And if you cut down on the storylines, then people will be upset because you're missing out on moments that we really want with some of the other members of the cast who've become really special and beloved. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Because, I mean, the the plan with with the pacing, it was always supposed to be eight episodes it was never going to be a 10 episode season so when they started writing they knew their limitations in in ways that obviously impacted how they wrote the season because that's just how seasons break that's how you break an episode but they did save a lot of money by going to new zealand and by building building sets that they could reuse there was a lot of corner cutting not in the negative sense of Mm -hmm. it but in the in the more practical like okay how do we get this made on a budget on and specifically on our budget yeah i'd also be interested in knowing (laughs) what were they paying taiko waititi and and Mm. reese darby to be in that in that series at that point Mm. because I mean, like, they're just what, huge actors, and Taika, Taika was in the season. Taika certainly, more. yeah, 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 and Taika was in the season like a lot more than he was in past seasons. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I suspect that there was probably like some consideration towards we want Taika in this as much as possible. Let's make sure that we have that budget squared away, no matter what. Yeah, but it's crazy to have a smaller budget for this season after the success of season one. Yeah, it's fascinating. But it's also, I think, the fact is, is this this isn't the kind of television that's going to win awards. Mm -hmm. It's not the kind of television that's going to get any Emmy nominations or not going to get Emmy nominations that HBO necessarily cares about. Mm -hmm. And it is expensive because it's a period piece, no matter what, you know? It just, the people who run HBO are hostile to narrative television because they want to make shit reality tv shit and it's sad to see this have to be made under those circumstances i i I am amazed though that shooting in new zealand where because getting things to new zealand is very expensive ends up being more affordable but you get to have really beautiful vistas obviously so i know that they were able to hire crews from new zealand so they Mm -hmm. didn't have to get a lot over there they were able to to just use what was there because New Zealand has such a bustling and thriving film industry. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So it was like all, I'm pretty sure it was all like New Zealand crews and New Zealand people on set. Right. And you're right. They're going to have local s- equipment and stuff like that. So it's not like you're putting a giant lighting system on a ship. But yeah, do you feel like you could sense a difference in the sense of place this season through that? Honestly, no. I I yeah. don't think that, I think they did a really good job kind of matching everything up. And I think that our flag means death kind of exists in this in this weird nebulous space anyway it definitely exists in a, in a kind of version of the caribbean that has never really existed <laughs> um so i didn't necessarily feel any friction there which i thought was really really well done yeah i thought i thought that it was clever clever the ways that they disguised it was new zealand throughout the production thinking back with pacing on all that i mean would you have any sort of big picture thoughts about how this season ha- has, has was for you as a viewer. Yeah. So I think ultimately I found this season a little disappointing, not necessarily because of the pacing or anything, but because the storyline just wasn't tight as it was in the first season. It just like meandered a little bit. And it was for me, there was like the big, the big ending where of course, fan favorite Izzy hands gets killed. That fell really flat for me. Just because there was like one moment where he, where Izzy, as he's dying, tells Blackbeard. It fell flat for me because there was this one moment where like Blackbeard and Izzy are embracing. Izzy is dying. Blackbeard tells Izzy, you can't leave me. You're like, you're my family. You're my only family. I really need you. And Izzy is like, look at the crew. They love you and they're your family. And I'm just like, what? And I think that's what like really that's the part that broke me because the whole season, the crew's trying to get rid of Blackbeard. <laughs> the whole season, even Blackbeard's friends can't stand him. Even Fang is just like, Blackbeard, you need to shut the fuck up. We are we are fishing. You need to be quiet. And it's just like the whole season is the crew trying to like get away from Blackbeard or kill Blackbeard. And then at the very end. Izzy is like, the crew loves you. And I'm like, are we sure about that? I don't know. I kind of disagree here. I think that they are, with Fang, this is like family trying to get you to get out of your shit and correct yourself. I I definitely think that there are a range of opinions about Blackbeard held among the crew, but I I don't necessarily see folks trying to get him to get his shit together as being at odds with him being seen as family by people by by certain people within the within the crew. That's totally fair. It just really felt for me that there wasn't a lot of work done narratively to mm-hmm. make that kind of like final death pronouncement to Blackbeard feel really earned, especially mm-hmm. when we had that kind of like great self-eulogy from Izzy Hands when he's talking to Prince Ricky. Yeah. Okay. I I am obsessed with that scene. I mean, okay, just to be clear, like <laughs> I am not saying that it's good that they killed this character. I would have loved to have seen him continue. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to have a character die, giving them a speech in which they summarize the themes of the show and demonstrate how they embody the themes of the show is as big of a like send-off as you could possibly give someone. Like, yeah, that like they literally have him like set, sit down, do this scene that should absolutely get an 
an award for it, but won't because of the biases that you speak of. Like the performance was outstanding. Oh my and, god! Like, just deliver, like right? Oh my god! Deliver like the this whole is- season. Just, just taking uh, everyone for a fucking ride. I mean, just truly tremendous performances. And I'm so glad that this is an actor who's been discovered through this series. Like, God bless. But like, they give him like this absolute like Oscar speech, if only. Um, And like, he's telling you, the viewer, like, this is the point of the series. You think because you have the power that you're going to get to control the narrative, but you don't actually get to control anything because we are just that compelling that people want to hear about us and remember us, despite the way you like... This the Ricky is like, I'm going to write the book about you guys and people are going to listen to my version of the story. And that's all that matters. And he's like, no, we actually do matter as people, but also our story is going to be told by the people who support us. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it was a really powerful moment. And I think that narratively speaking, Izzy Hans's death was like pretty choreographed in a lot of ways throughout the season. So it wasn't like mm-hmm. a huge surprise for me when he died. Um, What's I the think after I gave him the speech? Oh, yeah. Sorry, continue. I agree. Like from that episode, it was like really obvious. I think that the problem that a lot of fans experienced with that death was just the fact that it was not necessarily in the, in the vein of what had been promised from season one. It was just kind of a, a tonal break in a way that felt, I think that a lot of people felt very personally because it was like, here's this older queer character who has fundamentally never gotten what he wants. And that's his, his character tragedy is that he knows what he wants or he thinks he knows what he wants and he never quite get it, gets it. And then like when he finally has that moment where he's experiencing all this character growth through the season and then all of a sudden he dies to in order to tell Blackbeard that he's free to fuck off with Steed, mm-hmm. there's a part of that that feels a little cheap. I, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think in an environment where there were more queer, older characters and stories like this, I don't know that people would have the same kind of response to it. Yeah, I Perhaps. agree with you. I think that the fact that people really attach themselves to Izzy is not only like a trans allegory, but also like this elder queer, elder gay man who is just kind of like not a good, not good. He's kind Mm -hmm. of a bad man in a lot of ways. But (laughs) I think that that's one of the reasons why people really attached onto it because it's, it's, he did embody a lot of the themes of the show and he's, he clearly knew the writers clearly knew that obviously they're very smart people and they know what they're doing. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it was just one of those things where, because he embodied those moments of the show. So clearly when he died in this way that a lot of people just felt wasn't really worthy of him, especially after that great speech, especially after what he had been through the whole season, it just felt like, there was a way that you could have killed him and like made it like a little bit more in service to the the whole story rather than just in service to Blackbeard. But also who knows what season three is gonna be like if there is mm-hmm. a season three. God, like, I know. Uh, David Jenkins has been like very shady about all of it. I'm just like, I don't know if you're doing this to placate fans who are upset or if you genuinely do have a plan. But who who knows? Who knows what that man is thinking? 
I mean, I truly think that the show might not get a third season, and that really sucks. I, I, everything that we see from this season, to me, speaks to them not knowing if they'll ever get to make any more of it. And mm-hmm. I'm not optimistic, which is really fucking terrible. It sucks. We should have three seasons. Yeah, I think they were very aware that they might not get season. And when I when I spoke to David Jenkins, who's the showrunner writer, for io9 he was he he was of the same vibe right where he's like well we don't know if we're gonna get another season and we wanted to make sure that the story stood on its own regardless Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i just think ultimately you have a very large cast of people Mm -hmm. and you have a a main couple in the story and like Mm -hmm. that's that's what's what's going on here and I think in order to do the kind of story that folks would want for Izzy, he would be the main character, and that's not how it's built. Yeah, I think that there's there's definitely like a version of fandom that would want Izzy to be the main character. And I think that there's also a way to keep Steed and Blackbeard as the main characters in the main couple, which is that that's the point of the show. Yeah. And to to have like, at least in their eyes, you know, according to fans, mm-hmm. been been a little bit more kind to Izzy. And to be clear, again, I'm sure nobody believes me, but I really do think like he's one of my favorite characters in the show. It's just I also I'm someone who's comfortable with bad things happening to characters I like. That's something yeah. I'm okay with. Yeah, <laughs> I think that most people. The mo- I mean, like I did this like kind of massive write up on Izzy Hand's fans and how like his death affected the community. And I think like the the vibes I got from those folks were really like we would have been okay with him dying. It just felt yeah, it just felt to a lot of people and like to me a little bit that like it wasn't really it didn't feel earned in a way that I thought would be like really a little bit more respectful to that character. Cuz like he dies all this like kind of from a stray shot after mm-hmm. fighting all his life. And then there's this one, like, moment where he's like, that's a suicide mission. And Sita's like, it's only a suicide mission if you die. And then he dies. Well, yeah. I mean, but isn't that so like this show, though, that Steed goes and does something and someone else dies? It is. But, like, Steed never gets consequences. Yeah, he's rich. I yeah. Mean- so, I don't know. It's one of those things where that, that worked. It worked for season one and worked for, like, half of season two. I just feel like there was kind of a, a moment where people were starting to realize that neither Blackbeard or Steed ever really has to deal with consequences. consequences. They always just sort of get to like yes. be, be wrapped up in each other, which like, again, they're the main characters. So it's not a big deal. But I think that there were there could have been a way where they could have like faced faced themselves a little bit more. The finale of this season, the co-writer on it, Roman is written by David Jenkins and John Mahoney. And I I don't think that this episode is an episode that is thinking as much about queer stories as much as just thinking about race and class, uh-huh. um, which I'm seeing in part looking at the writer's own history of work. And I think the priority of what he's trying to tell in that finale is not about queer identities and intercommunity trauma and healing 
Mm-hmm. I think it's about what I was mentioning about who gets to author the story of your people. And right. that if that's the conversation, then does the queer elder, I, I mean, I don't even know if you want to define him as that, but like, I mean, there's multiple queer elders in this show, but whatever. Um, you know, like their fate is not necessarily like the main question, if that's your priority of this part of the story. Anyway, enough about that whole piece. I was really excited about the introduction of Archie this season. She is a blast. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get much from her. Well, there, I mean, tell me out. Tell me out here. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I just, for me at least, I didn't find, I didn't enjoy her very much. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people did, and you obviously didn't. And I would love to know why, because maybe I just don't get it. Help me out. Well, I, I, I like the actress. I think that, mm-hmm. I think the actor, I think that they were really endearing and funny. And I appreciated, I think having a character who was new to the crew in season two was useful for yeah. certain for certain things happening. I know that the reason she was made for the series is they wanted to have an older queer woman like who would be in a relationship with with Jim because they wanted to like look at those kinds of friendships and they wanted there to be more more people of more genders on the ship. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty compelling. One of the writers I was speaking with for the series was we were talking about, you know, having relationships with people who've been in the scene longer than you. Yeah. We have this, you know, she's been like in the snake cult. Yes. But has been also like pirating for longer. And it feels like a kind of a queer relationship that happens a lot. And Mm -hmm. that we, we wanted to like see that. And I appreciated the way of addressing the group, like the, the, the inter-supportive potential polycule or continuing growing complicated queer family of like Jim and Alawande. But like Archie is very much like that lesbian that we know who, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, she was. She's going to fix your bicycle like for you. And then you're going to get drunk and we're going to get really drunk at an Ani show. And it's, she's like that lesbian. And I'm like, yes, I'm very excited about that lesbian. So I, I totally see what you're saying now that you've laid it out. But I, I just didn't get that while I was watching it. And you laying it out like that, I'm just like, that would have been really great if I had been able to see it. So I think that it mm-hmm. just, I I think I missed it. I think I just missed it as part of the season. And I, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like Archie, for me at least, felt more like a missed step than mm-hmm. a unforgettable new character. And it's a bummer because hearing you talk about it, I'm just like, oh, man. Archie, Archie could have been such an interesting character in it, even more than she was to to you and to a lot of people. Sure. Oh man, it makes me feel like that was a missed opportunity in a way that it's just like, man, they they could have really used those two extra Mm -hmm. episodes, huh? I know for so many (laughs) things. Well, one of, I think my favorite episodes from this season, which is probably Mm -hmm. held by a lot of people is Calypso's birthday. Oh, Um, so good. I love inventing a new second Halloween for the gays. Congratulations on the new 
the new second Halloween. Yeah. Apparently, the idea for Calypso's birthday, which is the episode where they throw a birthday party for Calypso, was an idea that they had for season one and just didn't have space for. Mm. And I think it makes a lot of, I think it makes a lot of, or rather, the, the specifics of like what would happen in it were not laid out. But the idea of the crew inventing a holiday for the purposes of having fun was a season one idea that I thought was a really cool thing to bring in here and was a really nice break exactly where it laid out. Yeah, um, that was definitely my favorite, my favorite uh, episode as well. And one thing that I learned about that episode is that one of the scenes that was cut was a scene with Wee John and Izzy Hands mm-hmm. where Izzy would, would have taken a seat and they filmed it. They just had to cut it. But Izzy would have taken a seat and in front of the mirror where Wee John had just been doing his drag makeup. And he would have asked Wee John, make me pretty. And they cut it. <laughs> and I was like, no. Oh, man. Well, obviously, I don't. I, I would I would prefer that to not be cut. But I do feel like that vibe was still conveyed without the explicit inclusion of that statement. Right. Yes, I totally agree. I mean, I think that it's one of those things where it's I would have wanted it because I love pain and it would have made me maybe cry. But I also think that even without that, even without that scene, it was very clear that was what was happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I love how this show has just let this cast's talents and interests really permeate the characters like, you know, I don't know that Wee John was written to be a drag queen, but because the actor does drag and has done drag like forever, they're like, yes, we should use this. Colin, Colin O'Neill sang on like the British version of Broadway in like at least one major play. So yes, have him sing in this. I know. Colin O'Neill has a Tony. He has a Tony award. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that they came, that I didn't know he performed in America. Oh my God. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's for, but it's just one of those things where me with my like fandom pilled brain went into a deep dive of Todd O'Neill at the end of episode one. I'm just like, this man has mm. a Tony. What are they going to make him sing? <laughs> and they, they did. did. Right. And it was so good. I ha- As a voice person, I do not understand how both of those sounds are produced by the, sa- by the same person. Who is to say? Um, like the, the workings of the physical ever body. know. But yeah, no, and I like, and, and having the, the, Roach, the actor who plays Roach. Samba Shoot like actually likes to bake things and like sort yeah. of like working all that together. I really like, like Jim, like Vico is a knife thrower and a skilled fighter in real life. And like, I so know. They get to, I'm so glad we got to see them. This is something we should have seen more of, but we saw them like climbed up the side of a tree, like precision knifing people, <laughs> throwing knives in the finale. Very um, Which is the stunt they were born to do. Yeah, they have a really interesting physicality about them that I wish that the show had exploited a little bit more, actually. Yeah, yeah. They can do all kinds of shit. And it would be great to see that even more so. Um, well, we have another major character introduced this season, of course, is Zheng Yi Sao, uh, the yeah. real pirate queen who was from a completely different time and place, but makes perfect sense to be wor- reworked into this place and, sen- and setting. Um, amazing performance from Rubio Kwan. Yeah, she was so fun. She was really, really a delight. I think that she balanced out like the Muppet behavior in a really good mm-hmm. way. 
especially when Steed came onto her ship and she's just, I guess you could iron towels. <laughs> and she's out there being like a strong, capable, confident queen. And he's just like bumbling around. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty amazing stuff, I thought. I, you know, I mean, just Tom, when I spoke to them, they were like, I really wanted there to be a character who was super competent and was constantly being underestimated and having to deal with fools because that is what I identify with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. And I love like, like Jane has a whole different system of how they are, ru- how she's running her pirate empire mm-hmm. that is just much larger and more and hyper competent than what we see the other pirates in the Caribbean doing and yeah. like trying to align that as like the dominant pirate force for the region. And frankly, it would have been smart for Ricky to not screw her over, actually, to actually have a pirate partner with the government. And that is what the government of China did, in fact, IRL. Yeah. They were like, you know what? You're deal with her. They were like, please they made a deal stop. with her. Please stop. We'll give you anything you want. I really, and I, I just enjoyed all the different kind of character pivots they were able to give her where she can be like really serious and also really sweet and have that kind of full range of personality and character there. Yeah. It was one of those things where the the only thing that kind of annoyed me about her story, and this is such a nitpick. This is like the nitpickiest of nitpicks is that grandfather clocks don't work on boats. They don't work on boats because the, there's no way for them to level and they have right. to, yeah. So they just right. like, don't work on boats. And I'm like, this is a major plot point. And it just, like, it would not work. It's just very funny I, to me personally. Oh my God. Well, also just sort of like, they have far more accurate time, time pieces. So I'm like, I choose to read this as a metaphor of how the white guy thinks he's offering her some new fancy science when she's, no, we... We've all been able to do this for a long time prior. This is not anything new or fancy to us. Yeah, it was just, it was one of those things where I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a silly thing for me to obsess over. And yet here I am. It's okay. <laughs> I, I understand that. Ricky, it broke my brain having someone be identified as a minor prince who is British. But, <laughs> but, 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 so what are, but what are, so we, we can all have our like historical thing that we get hung up on for no, yeah. for real significant Yours is a minor so, prince from England. Mine is grandfather clocks don't work on boats. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, what are your thoughts about Ricky Barnes? Ricky Barnes, I, I keep wanting to call him Ricky Barnes. God, um, I, to be honest, I really loved him. Yeah. Um, I thought he was like very hateful as a character, but mm-hmm. I thought he was just a very good, another very good foil for Steed and the group is just like someone who turns into, who really wants to be queer, really wants to be a part of the scene. And then, they realize how hard it is and they're just they're they become very self-hating in a way. And I'm just like, ah, mm-hmm. Ricky. So yeah, I really yeah. liked him as an antagonist. I thought his story was very good. I thought it was like it developed really well. Yeah, I like I think that Ricky was probably one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best written parts of the whole season. He's just a great mirror to Steed. It's like, what if Steed, but terrible, but without any kind of moral compunctions whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, as much as we talk about like Steed being clueless and privileged and all of those things are completely true. He is also a person, the person who began season one saying people say piracy has to be like terrible and violent. And I ask, but what if it doesn't have to be like he has, he wants things to be good for people. He is incredibly selfish and thinks about himself first, but he also wants things to be good for other people. 
Yeah, I think that I think a lot of that comes from the fact that he wants his life to be good, but also maybe other people's lives could be good too Mm -hmm. if it's not Mm -hmm. too much of a bother. Yep, yep, yep. And and yeah, and Ricky as the he can't actually hack it in the scene, so he seeks to destroy it is really far too real of a phenomenon. Yeah, I did enjoy his Dutch, um, Delft his Delft blue uh, porcelain. Oh, brilliant. Replacement nose. Great costuming choices. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. There were so many great costuming choices this season. Like Frenchie's coat. Absolutely mm. love Frenchie's coat. <laughs> the fact what do you think about decided- the curse? I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, the curse. Oh, man, the curse outfit was wonderful. And also the decision to just put Blackbeard in this fucking sackcloth onesie with a little kitten bell around his neck. I just, I died. I thought it was so funny. It felt very much in line with like the cruise. No, we actually need to know where you are at all times, so we're putting a bell on you. <laughs> like, <laughs> so silly. But yeah, what, what do you think about the... Oh, right, sorry. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the Calypso episode. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that Calypso's birthday has potential holiday status, at least within the fandom, if not beyond? Oh, yeah. I think that the problem is that there wasn't really... Unless the the holiday becomes like the air date of that episode becomes Calypso's birthday. Yeah, I think that it could very easily become a fandom holiday. I can see people like publishing zines on that day or having like bangs surrounding that that week leading up to it. Or yeah, just having like a celebration in, in interesting ways or doing meetups or whatever. It could absolutely yeah. very easily become a holiday. Like We need like a second second halloween and i like the idea of everybody coming together bringing these different pieces and like making doing that challenge show together doing those performances together yeah i think um, i think it'll depend on whether or not we get a second a third season because i think yeah. that if if the season if the show ends now it'll end in a way that has like a lot of fractured fans yeah so there's i think that the the show deserves an opportunity to, you know, get those fans back and get that hype back again and find maybe even find new fans in order to like mm-hmm. really establish itself as kind of like queer canon in a yeah. more yeah just like in a more established like more like long jet in like a long a way in a way that like preserves its longevity. I think it really yeah. needs a third season. I really hope we get one. Good God. One one thought um, I also have is for folks who are not familiar with the song that Izzy sings, Mavie and Rosa, is a song with real queer history to it. It was a song a lot of drag performers have performed historically. Mm-hmm. And there's even a film about a young trans kid that was made in the 90s that was called the Vian Rosa. That was like one of the big new queer cinema international film successes of the period. So like that is a really studied decision to tie Izzy's performance in with queer history by that song selection. Cause it could have been like, it could have been anything obviously since they don't care about historical accuracy. (laughs) So reaching for that in particular is extra bonus gay. Yeah. And I think that both Maggie Phillips, who's like the, the woman who's in charge of music selection and David Jenkins, who has like a pretty strong hand in just about everything with this show. They 
really knew what they were doing. They really considered a lot. And there were parts of that song where they changed some of the pronouns to be like from individual pronouns in the original French to plural pronouns to be like to indicate that Izzy was singing to the the crew as a whole rather than a singular person. It did not even occur to me to try to pay attention to the French words. So (laughs) I really appreciate you telling me this. This just blew my mind. We, I mean, um, we were just so enraptured by like Con O'Neill's voice. It's just like that. <laughs> that is what he sounds like when he's singing. Absolutely crazy. That's so cool. Were there any other? Were there song choices of the soundtrack nature of the season that were you really liked? I thought that Run song, like how yeah. that was worked in, was like fucking intense. That was so good. Honestly, I think it's it's really cliche to say, but this woman's work by Kate Bush, marvelous. That song already gets me incredibly emotional. Just something about Kate Bush. What? Oh, yes. <laughs> she's incredibly monumental and her voice is just so piercing. So something about that song where it was, it just really echoed a lot of scenes of that episode where it was like people taking care of each other and abandoning each other and expecting too much of each other. So that song in particular, I really, really loved. Yeah, that was a really good pick. What about um, you? What do you was think? there like a song that like oh, you just yeah? <laughs> the run was definitely like a big one for mm-hmm. me. I was like, "What is this? What is this from? I have to find this song. This is intense." There was that seagull one that was very funny. Oh, hold on! But here we go. Soundtrack season two soundtrack. Oh, they used "Strawberry Letter" twenty three by Suji Oates, which always, which was a lot of fun. I enjoy that song. What episode um, was that in? It was during the wedding. Oh, interesting. When, when when they storm, not sorry, not the good wedding between Pete and Lucius, but when they storm the wedding. Got um, it. Where they yeah, steal yeah, the pirate yeah. figures and stuff like that. When Blackbeard gets very weird. Yeah, about the figurines. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. I mean, I just think that they they did a lot of work to de-romanticize Blackbeard for the in the first couple of episodes. And mm-hmm. I think that they maybe didn't do a lot of <laughs> enough work to like make him make him a good person again or make him someone to root for. I think it was it was definitely like a choice. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to my extent though, I feel like it's on purpose. Like maybe they don't want someone to get to be too redeemed by the narrative and be like, and he loves him anyway. Like that's just true anyway. Yeah, I mean, honestly. It's one of those things where it's it could go it could go so many ways and I don't think that there's any wrong or right way to write this show. I think that for me at least it felt like there was a moment where it was threading the line in between kind of goofy rom-com stuff and then this kind of like very dark comedy. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that it would like stick to the darker comedy. Because the first three episodes I thought were like so, so wonderful and so good. And then it kind of went went a little, the pendulum like swung a little bit too far for into goofy comedy for yeah, me. Yeah, I like, know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's, that's more what I'm saying is that like, if they had just made him like gross and bad and evil and like just like kind of a bad person the whole time, I think I would have been able to hold that easier than what was presented which i felt had like slight like some tonal there was like some tonal dissonance there 
again, sort of switching in between like this kind of like goofy pirate rom-com workplace comedy, funny, funny, weird, creepy, gross ghost stuff. And then this sort of horror comedy, like black comedy where like people are getting their toes eaten and just getting like really, really dark in a lot of ways. What did you think about Blackbeard's time with in in the gravy basket or what have you with Hornigold, his old pirate boss? I loved it. Of death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved it. I thought like it was a little on the nose, but I'm just like whatever. Let them be on the nose. It's fine. I thought it was fun. I I really enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was this really great development for Blackbeard, and there was a moment where he was like pretending to open the inn. And Hornigold was just being an utter bastard. And I'm just like, this is the best, the best cinema that I've ever watched in my life. (laughs) I just thought it was really very effectively communicated, like a lot of the stuff that like Blackbeard was struggling with Mm. in a way that felt like it had a lot of history and it mattered to him. Yeah. And definitely working from that past. So I I really enjoyed it. I think that I would have liked even more like i would like it to be even weirder but i know that's Mm -hmm. not the kind of show that they're writing (laughs) so i don't hold it against them did you think about nate low ned Lowe's appearance in calypso oh at first i was like do not interrupt this party with something else i really just want to have this party but it was a cool gimmick for him he was so good he was so good i again i thought it was like very very much like balancing the kind of goofy goofy but still pirate vibes of the first season i thought like calypso really nailed first season energy in a way that a lot of the other episodes maybe didn't didn't quite balance for me but i thought that was like really wonderful really weird really funny especially with the way that like the crew seed and the rest of the crew of their event were able to convince Ned Lowe's crew to, to revolt and just be like, you deserve so better. It mm-hmm. was just, it was really very good. And I thought Ned was creepy and weird. And yeah, I thought it was good. And I, he oh, believed God. in real life he had, he was a pirate who had a really, who had a reputation that was very much of being like more violent and cruel than like even was necessary is I think the, the legend about him. Yeah, I think that that's right. I don't know specifically. The thing that I do know about Legends is is that they had that whole, the whole thing about how Blackbeard beat Ned Lowe's record. Mm -hmm. And in real life, Blackbeard didn't pirate for very long. No, no, (laughs) He he pirated for two years, but he was like, this isn't great. I'm out of here. So it was just funny that that's, that's what they chose to have ned be like really upset over it. i'm just like okay it works for the <laughs> story for the characters that they're telling for sure though yeah no, no no totally works it's one of those things where it's like his they have people wearing crocs in the first first yeah. season i don't think that like historical accuracy is a good basis for like critique of this show at all <laughs> i just thought it was one of those like kind of insider insider pirate freaks like me would know and think it was funny so it just felt like another joke that they were telling speaking of insider pirate freaks let's talk about mary reed and Anne bonnie's appearance in the season yeah i think we all were expecting that to happen we were i i don't 
I have a lot of mixed feelings about them. I'm just like, this is mm. not, this is not what I was expecting. Right, right. So yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was like, I thought it was a very funny episode. I thought it was like, very interesting to have this kind of in a way. Oh, and I know that if I say this, like people are going to come after me, but like this kind of like bottle episode. <laughs> oh, it's fine. My listeners are not going to go after that. Yeah. Um, like fun little bottle episode where they have this little jaunt to this like cute little house full of antiques. And isn't this so fun and kitschy? And then all of a sudden, like these famed pirates are in there and they're like weirdly defanged in a lot of ways. And they've settled down, but they're not that settled. And they're like trying to prove that they haven't settled down. And they definitely don't have lesbian bed death. Look how kinky they are. Of course they haven't settled down. So it, was, it just, it felt, it felt like I was like missing a joke somewhere. I thought it was interesting that they're basically saying you actually can't be happy settling down. And then in the end of the season, we do see Blackbeard and Steed settling down. So it sets us up for there being instability in the future for them, probably. Oh, or yeah. If not, attention. Yeah. 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 I enjoyed that performances a lot. That was fun. Mm -hmm. And I thought that one of the reasons for, that they wanted to do Jim, from what I spoke to the writing staff, the, I, the idea had always been to have there be a non-binary character in the main cast who was a fictional character. Mm -hmm. And part of that was they didn't want to have to commit to having a particular identity, gender identity for Mary and Anne, because there are so many potential ways to read some of them that it felt like if we can just say this character who we have invented is non-binary, then we get yeah. to offer this non-binary narrative without having to take into account real people who existed in real history, who there are scholarly debates for those who don't know, there are scholarly debates about whether Anne and Mary, if Anne was just queer and if Mary was trans and that, and we actually shouldn't be calling Mary Mary. That we should be using Mark Mark Reed, mm -hmm. or if they're non-binary. And obviously, we can't really say for sure. But this is a real person, right? So I guess I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And also, if, even if we were to say, okay, word of God, this character is from the past is non-binary. Their story and their journey is going to be different from what a non-binary person today is thinking and feeling. Right. So it made sense for there to be a modern non-binary character like Jim, who's comes to us whole cloth that way. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was like very smart not to have them be, I thought it was very smart to have Jim just, like, this is a non-binary character. You can't argue with us like totally fictional they them like no mm -hmm. no arguments you can't mm -hmm. but i think that there was a lot of build up for for mary and i think that for me i was like this is weird and i like it i would love to see more of them i would have loved to have seen more of them too yeah but just from a historical standpoint it is inarguable that Mary and Anne were in a relationship with each other. It is inarguable right. that they were queer. But the language we use to describe their gender is not something that we can be like, put a full stamp on this for what we would want to call this. So, yeah, absolutely. Stuff's it's complex. But I don't want people listening to this to get the idea that we think that they're not queer. If you want to hear more about their history, we <laughs> talked about it at length when we covered season one with T. Fogner because T is like a huge nerd about them. So, 
Anyway, so even though they don't appear in season one, we got to speak about them significantly when we covered season one. But yeah, they were a lot of fun. And I liked how they both got stumbled on completely separately. And they got connected anyway. It's, we're trying, I'm trying to avoid seeing you. And yet I'm, I'm stumbling into your living room regardless. Absolutely like flawless sitcom comedy. Mm-hmm. It's just like you yeah. can't get better than that. No. Nat Torres said that actually also having them have like that sort of pain play. They were like, yeah, I was really thinking about Folsom and you have to, it's probably in the subtext of my mind when we were thinking about that relationship. Mm-hmm. So fun times. Is there anyone that you want us to make sure we talk about? Let's talk about the, okay. So one, Lucius, definitely not dead. We were correct. Yeah, we however, all. Lu- however, Lucius was not in the walls of the ship. I don't think at first. Which kind of he was in the walls of the ship later. Yeah, he was not in the walls of the ship. I I think it was one of those things where if he was in the walls of the ship, it might have taken more suspension of disbelief and would have he would have like probably appeared sooner. Mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. was yes, because yes. like there was like a part of that where like the whole the whole crew of the reg was like starving. Mm-hmm. So and it's just yeah. easier to just have him like no, he's fine. Way, he got picked up. He's fine. Don't worry about it. But so, what did you think about what did you think about Lucius and 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 Pete's story together this season? Oh, I thought it was really good. I thought it was fun. I really liked it. I think the wedding. I didn't like the wedding. Oh, <laughs> actually, I mean, it's the very first. I thought the first season was so clever the way that they were like, we don't own people, we don't own each other, mm-hmm. and then they they have this kind of like big wedding, and I'm just like. This is this is interesting because there's a part of me that's they could still be polyamorous and yeah. still have that and be mm-hmm. in in this committed relationship, but it just felt like there wasn't hints. There weren't enough like hints of that happening. There wasn't like right. any sort of nod yeah. to that. So it felt very, it felt opposite of what had been said in the first season for me. So I'm like interesting choices. Which you're like I'm not yeah. a wedding. I mean, it's true. We know that them getting married doesn't mean that they mer- that they're suddenly monogamous, but the show right. did not say that, and a lot of viewers are not going to understand that. Um, yeah, and then yeah. there was also just the fact that, like, throughout season one, there were like these hints and winks at like them being much more casual, like engaging with engaging in sex in front of other people, engaging with engaging in sexual sexually charged moments with other people, like flirting mm-hmm. with other people. And this season really didn't see a lot of that, which I mean, I think it was fine. Lucius was like, well, they missed each other and they're their primary partner and they missed each other a lot. And I don't know. I I don't think I I agree that most viewers will probably read them as being monogamous now. I don't think the text requires that reading, but I, but, but, but I also understand why given like, oh my God, I thought you were dead would be a moment where you're predominantly focused on your partner who's oh my god they're not dead right <laughs> you know and maybe not thinking as much about other people yeah 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 i i think it's it's not i don't think that this this show is really making a statement on polyamory <laughs> it might have been the first season but this season definitely definitely reigns that in in, in, in a lot of ways well, I don't even know necessarily how like you know we have like a quadruple with like like even though we know that Olawande and and the pirate queen are going to be on a different ship than Archie and Jim. Mm-hmm. Like they're all dancing together too. So there's like a bit of like, 
ambiguity between some of those relationships as well, though, in this season. Yeah, that's fair. I just thought it wasn't quite as obvious as season one. And I think that's that's my only point. It wasn't quite as obvious for me in this season. And then like to end on this very, like this wedding. I was just like, oh, yeah. Well, it was important for the season to have a wedding, I think. And it wasn't going to be Steed and Edward. So it was sort of like, well, who's a, who is it going to be? It has to be theirs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I found yeah. the ceremony touching and sweet, personally. And, like, I now pronounce you mateys is, like, kind of my favorite thing because of the historical context of that. Which I wrote right. about in my piece for Wired. But speaking of characters changing, I have I always said in season one that Buttons is actually definitely a druid. Like he actually has powers and can do limited magic. Mm-hmm. I would have felt very validated by the, the season two agreeing that this is true. And I feel like Buttons transforming himself into a seagull is like this amazing statement of the show that you actually do have the ability to change. And I really love that. I want to see more of it. I am, I'm curious. I think that for me, I didn't see it quite, quite as much of a statement as you did. I would be, I want to, this is why we need a season three. We do. We really do. Because I'm just like, I don't know how to feel about so much of season two. (laughs) I'm just like, I, I guess, but yeah, it's just really how it feels. Man, a a third season would would clarify would make so much of season two better for me so what, what you what you didn't what, what how what was your read of button's story this season i i thought it was just so ambiguous right like he he had this like very fun reaction with auntie and he had this like really interesting like he's a druid and like he has this magic and stuff is happening but is it happening and it was like this cheeky wink so I don't know. I think he he just he was gone too soon from the season, and I would I just think that it was just there was just such an ambiguity. Did he transform into a seagull? He, oh, I think he definitely oh. did. I, he disappeared. So? He he went he went around into the bowl, and then he was gone. And then the seagull I, that seagull hangs out on Izzy's grave on the end of the in the end of the season. I need a I need a season three. <laughs> I mean, we do. And I also, if we were gonna have. I, I do think if we see Izzy in season three, he's going to be a ghost giving uh, life advice. But you could even have an argument for some sort of magical thing with our bird friend. But no, I I don't know how to read. I don't know how else you read buttons other than having him having been transformed because we don't see him again. You go, you go around the side of the tree and then the bird just flies off. That's that. I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, he could have just he could have just wandered off. This and then show. not be seen at all at any point in the future after that. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Is a bird. I think it's. I. I just think that there's so much about about it that could it could go literally any direction, and I would believe it. But until that direction is, I think more explicitly spelled out for me, I'm just like I don't know what happened. I think he just wandered off. I'm going with the simplest explanation is probably the explanation for this show but i don't think him wandering off is the simplest explanation if we don't see him again i don't like, know i don't know <laughs> i really don't know i, well, I just, i'm really reluctant to attach magic to this show 
that's part of it, mm. I think. Well, I mean, we have like this really magical experience almost of the revival of Edward after he's un- practically dead and comes back to life. It's pretty, pretty miraculous as well. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's miraculous, but it feels that feels much more in line with Muppet physics. That's sitcom physics to me. Yeah. It's like, yeah. of course, he's totally fine. And he can just wake up from this really horrible injury that he sustained. Yeah, Muppet physics. Who's who people can fall and get shot, have their toes cut off and be like, have their leg cut off with anesthetic. And it's fine. So I don't know that that definitely feels more more in line with the the common miracles of just like we are in a sitcom <laughs> magic mm. than mm going into a deliberate fantasy choice. Hmm. The the prosthetic unicorn leg is fucking brilliant. Like the whole thing with the figurehead of the ship as unicorn being this very gay symbol and having that broken gay symbol become literally a vehicle that the crew uses to give Izzy a work a workable body is really powerful, and they did a great job with that. Apparently, that was not originally in the they they, had, they didn't originally that was like not in the original draft of the story having Whoa. the unicorn. I know it was so perfect. Yeah, yeah, they did a they did a really good job with it. What do you think about Steed's arc during this season? That's such a good question because his arc was really like. He gets everything he wants, right? He, mm-hmm. he gets the infamy, he gets his ship, he gets his crew back, he gets Blackbeard. And then he realizes, oh, maybe it's not what I want. Maybe I should change everything I want so I could be with Blackbeard and be what Blackbeard wants me to be, which is leaving the ending just, again, so open-ended. I know that they are not going to have a good time. <laughs> they are just not going to have a good time running this in together when for so long... Blackbeard is this certain kind of person and Steed wants to be that person. And now he's like going back to to what he used to have. I don't know. I think again, gosh, season three. Well, the thing is, Steed is going to fucking die if he stays being a pirate. I mean, even with his magical aura or whatever, mm-hmm. if they're really running it in together, then we Steed gets to live and operate in the pirate milieu without having to do things he's bad at and instead gets to do things he's good at. So in a story without the constraints that this has, I don't think that he would end up running an in this early. But like <laughs> yeah. that does make a lot of sense. That is a good thing. That would be a good personal choice for him is all I'm saying. Yeah, a good personal choice. But it's not the choice he wants. So yeah, I'm interested. I think that his his arc is really getting what he wants and realizing that maybe it's not, it's not what it's cracked up to be. And becoming this sort of like feared pirate becoming this killer and not quite understanding the consequences in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. yeah and this season begins to touch on that more with with him killing ned yeah yeah another reason why i really liked calypso is because it just it showed him like making that decision to to enact actual murder yeah in a way where he just accidentally had did did a murder Mm -hmm. in season one yeah, um, and it wasn't like, like a self-defense. They could have kept him prisoner and dropped him somewhere. No, no, like, this it's one was, thing to be like, this was like killing someone by choice. This was 
cold-blooded murder and it just it made a real impact on his character in a way that i was just like i want more of that actually very interesting to see what he feels about that Mm -hmm. and of course that's when they finally have sex yeah oh very fun very fun times i mean good for them but yeah a a choice was made i really did not know that steve was going to have him walk the plank actually i did not know that until it happened yeah i agree they they definitely had it a question mark up until the very end yeah and i don't have i'm not complaining about the choice i'm just saying like how much the story could have had it go either way really what did you think about a storyline with him and the cursed costume, the cursed outfit? Yeah, and I do think Frenchie is allergic to peanuts, but that's a side that's a side issue. I think that it was it was kind of like classic our flag means death cursed cursed outfit and peanut allergy combining it with disastrous effects. Um, I really liked that episode because it had uh, a lot of moments between Steed and Izzy that I thought were really good. There was like this one mm-hmm. moment where they're taking over the ship and Steed does a good job. And Izzy just sort of like gives him a little thumbs up. And I'm just like, it's yeah. so good. <laughs> it's so good. Getting pirate lessons from him I thought was smart because this is the kind of thing it's like you should have been doing this the whole time. I know why you didn't. I understand why you didn't. <laughs> but you could have had access to that knowledge the whole time. And it would be a good yeah. idea to do that. Learn a thing. Yeah. Yes. So that was that was really I loved that episode. It was just like classic, classic pirate bullshit. Like it's cursed, like clearly cursed. Yeah. I don't believe in curses myself, but if those specific circumstances occurred, I would a hundred percent defer to what other people were saying. Cause that's, right. that's enough. Do you know what I mean? Okay. People feel that this is cursed and significant enough numbers. I am not going to be, and it's, let's be honest. It is like a really chintzily made outfit. I'm surprised that Steed liked it that much. Yeah, it was very, it was very frou-frou and I loved it. It was was like, like, this is so flamboyant. But it was also like spirit Halloween pirate outfit, not like the really good ones that most of them have been wearing the whole time. So I'm like, give it up. Is there anything we haven't hit on yet that we think that we really should? I think we've covered so much. I mean, I I think we're good. I think we've got a little bit. We nailed all of it. (laughs) Nailed it all. So in conclusion, God, I really want season three. Mm -hmm. I understand why things ended how they did this season well tell our readers where they can keep up with your amazing work online <laughs> well twitter is probably the best way to see what i'm up to it's at lynn codega l-i-n-c-o-d-e-g-a i also have a very casual substack called clickbaiter so clickbaiter.substack.com i love that handle that's such a great handle <laughs> thank you you should come hang out with me on blue sky I am on Blue Sky. I just don't use it very often, but I'm Lynn Kadega there as well. L-I-N Kadega? Mm-hmm. That's excellent. True. And for me, I am on Blue Sky with my last name as my handle, L-E-V-I-N. And I am still on Twitter, but I'm trying to cut back some. The handle there is E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. And yeah, check out my article from wire.com. Check out Lynn's articles for io9 and then yell at io9 because they need to not be letting go (laughs) talented brilliant people for more from us about the series and i really hope that we'll have the opportunity to talk about this again in a couple years too season three baby keep it geeky